0: and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. In the 11th chapter of Mark, we read about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. There are several important lessons from this passage, and in this sermon, Elder John Morgan Owens brings these lessons out for us. I hope you'll stay tuned today for the message that we've entitled, The Wild Asses Colt. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy.
1: If you would turn with me to Mark chapter 11, we'll look at something that uh, crossed my mind as I'm studying. You know, it's amazing when you're reading through Scripture, and then you'll see something that just seems like it just sort of sticks out. Maybe it's like a, it's just a phrase or a word or something, and it just looks like it's just waiting on you to dig into deeper. You know, and this study was based off of a phrase that caught my attention. Um, and so you'll, I think you'll see it pretty quickly when we read this passage. Um, but it's amazing that, the, that God, who, who gave us this word, uh, you know, these words are not just there on accident, okay? Every, every one of them has value, and if you see a phrase like that that catches your attention, I can just about guarantee that there's at least one other place in Scripture where it occurs that way, too. If you pair them together, you'll often learn a lesson about that. So Mark 11 and verse 1, we'll begin reading here. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon whereon never man sat. That's the phrase that caught my attention. Where never man uh, set, uh, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, what do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded. Then they let them go, and they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. We read also, uh, it's in Luke, where you know this just says colt, but we know that this was a donkey's colt. Okay, and so uh, Jesus wants to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. It's amazing that uh, here he is coming up to what is about to be the most epic, <laughs> the most amazing salvation, the most amazing triumph ever. And what does he choose uh, to enter into that place riding on? Is he going to ride on this white stallion? No, he's going to ride on this little donkey. Uh, I would probably say that donkeys are the least glorious of any animal. I would have to say. You ever seen a donkey? <laughs> I mean, what's up with that thing? It doesn't look right, right? <laughs> the ears are all out of whack, you know? It sounds like the most hideous thing you've ever seen. But, but yet, he rides in on a donkey. And not just any donkey, but a colt. A donkey's colt. Let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and and verse 9. What's happening when Jesus rides this donkey into town is that he is fulfilling a prophecy that was given hundreds of years before. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. He's fulfilling this prophecy right here in this little insignificant thing that that is happening. He's fulfilling this prophecy that was given hundreds of years before Jesus came to this world. And it's still amazing to me. We see these, these, not these contradictions, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's, it's when we see God As as being great, as being powerful, as being holy, but yet he reveals himself to us as a little lamb, slain since the foundation of the world, right? And so here we have an example of it in that he comes and he is the the God of all power. He is the God of righteousness. The king comes bringing salvation and he's riding on a donkey, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And now, if you'll go with me to Job. Job 11, and we'll look at verse 12. It says, For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. The idea that we're given here in this uh, this little passage is that we are all vain. <laughs> we're vain men and we're like a wild ass's colt. We're like a, a we're like a baby donkey. Every one of us. Now that'll that'll, you know, hurt your pride a little bit when right out the gate they're saying we are all like little donkey colts. Now what What do we know about donkeys? I know everybody around here, we know probably more about mules, but donkeys, what's the the main characteristic you think of? It's not the ears, it's not the the terrible voice, right? It's their stubbornness. That's the characteristic that they're known for, right? I, I I did some research on that, and that is by far the characteristic that they're known for. And it's weird because the reason, according to uh, those who know a lot more about donkeys than I would ever care to know, they say that the reason that they are so stubborn is because they have a a self-preservation instinct like no other, okay? So when they when they see a situation and they're very smart, they analyze the situation and they say, is this situation going to be dis- discomfortable for me, uncomfortable for me? Is it going to cause me harm or is it going to be for my best interest? And that's why when you're trying to lead a donkey through something or you're trying to get it to do something and it deems that it's not in its best interest, it won't do it. It will not do it. It is st- too stubborn. So they were saying, how, how do you train a donkey? Well, the first thing that you do in training a donkey is you've got to convince it that you have its best interests at heart. Because before that, it will not do anything you want it to do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that that is an animal that we are compared to? We're compared to a stubborn and self-focused animal. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm very self-focused. I'm very uh, selfish I want to take care of my best interests. I think we all are. I mean, that's the way that we are in our nature. And that can make us stubborn. That can make us very foolish at times. Obviously not glorifying to God. And there was another characteristic about donkeys that I thought was amazing. They are social creatures. They, they want to be around other donkeys. And, and in this little thing I was reading up on, they were saying, if you want to, if you want to raise donkeys or you want to have a donkey and you don't have other donkeys around, it will make do as long as it's with a herd of goats. So it'll do okay if it's with goats. Not any other animal, but it does okay with goats. Isn't that us? (laughs) In our nature, our stubborn, self-focused nature, we want to be there with the goats of this world. We want to be there in the midst of the world feeling that. Because when we're around sheep, Of this world you know what it does it just reminds us of how self-focused we are and how stubborn we are and we don't like it we would rather be around goats right I guess the donkey finally feels like when it's around goats it finally feels like it's the superior animal (laughs) because I can't goats are probably worse right Um, but that's us and so if we go back here to mark 11 Thinking about us. Every time you read this passage, I want you to think about you there. That Jesus does this very interesting thing. He goes there and he tells his disciples, he sends two of them, and he says, you're going to find this donkey. He's going to be tied up there. He gives them directions, instructions on how to get to this place. You know, Jesus already sees this place. He already knows this place. He's there with his disciples, but yet he knows this donkey. He knows the owners. He knows everything about him because he's God. And so it, it is amazing to me that he gives his disciples instructions of where to go, the place to be, you're going to find this donkey tied up there. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) He knew exactly that the donkey was going to be there at that time. And then he says, if anybody asks you, when you take this donkey, you just tell them that the Lord has need of this. Isn't that amazing? And he says, and they'll let it go. Now, I want you to imagine just for a second that you are the owner of this donkey. And you've got this, this donkey who has not yet been broken yet has not had any man ride on him, has not been used yet because it's young. You're, you've got, maybe you've got big plans for this thing, and you've got to train it, whatever you need to do. And you've got it tied up there in the front yard. And then these two uh, shaggy-haired, crazy-looking people, uh, dirty, come up out, of the, uh, up out of the path, out of the woods or so, and they just start untying your donkey. And like they're going to walk off with it. I mean, that's what's happening here. And then you say, well, hold up now. Why are you leaving with my donkey? And they say, well, the Lord has need of it. And then he just lets them go. Now, you gotta, you, you got to understand, obviously, that God has been working on that person long before he ever requested his disciples to go and to get this donkey. It's amazing how God can be working in so many places at the same time. And let me tell you, he, he's still doing that today. You know, we, we sometimes get this idea and we get discouraged by thinking that God is not working anymore. That he's not doing things anymore. You know, maybe we remember back to times in our life, you know, uh, 10 years ago maybe, when, when Zion was just like, a firecracker. It was just taken off right in the revival. And, and things are still happening. We see that. Uh, but we in our nature can get discouraged thinking that God is not working anymore. Maybe, maybe you get discouraged thinking, looking at what the world is doing. But God is always working. He is always moving in the hearts of his people. It may just be in ways that you could never possibly ever understand or ever see moving in the hearts of people uh, to lead them to repentance, repairing uh, uh, wrens and fellowship, things that you thought would never be possible, but yet God is still moving, okay? So don't get discouraged just because you don't see him working. He was working with this man. He's working with you. He's working with all of his people, wherever they are. So then this donkey gets loosed. And as I said, this donkey is you. This donkey is sitting there in a place where two ways meet. Isn't that us? Aren't you sitting at a place right now, even tonight, in a place where two ways meet? You've got the way of the world. You've got that broad way leading to destruction. And then you've got this other way, this path of life, this narrow way leading to life. And right now, you have a decision to make, okay? People talk about making a decision for the Lord. Yes, we have a decision to make for the Lord and the way that we live our lives. Do you want to live a life that, that is, uh, seems easy, <laughs> that, that is the path of least resistance, but yet it is further and further leading you down into the depths of despair and destruction? Or... Do you want to push yourself into what the Lord would would have you do and go that narrow way of life and experience, even though you may experience short-term losses, you may experience short-term pain and discomfort, yet you will experience the presence of God in ways that you have never experienced before? That is the way that I want to choose. As I'm sitting there where two ways meet. Okay? Jesus comes to, to this donkey through his disciples. He looses this donkey. He brings him aside for his use. Now there's a sense in which each and every one of his children are called aside for his use. When you you realize that when you're born again, that Jesus himself, it's even better than this, he didn't send his his disciples to born you again, he came himself and he loosed you and he is bringing you to him and setting you apart from your deadness, setting you apart from the deadness of this world to be for for him. (laughs) And that's what this donkey was. He was taking this donkey away from its mundane purposes, from whatever it was going to be doing that day. And Jesus said, I'm clearing off this donkey schedule. This donkey will be for me. And that's what he's done for us in the, new, in the new birth. Okay, so I'm talking on one hand about how this applies to us every single day in a timely sense. But I'm also talking about how this applies to us in one time when Jesus came to you in the new birth and called you from death to life. And what did he do? This donkey that had never been broken, whereon never a man had set, Jesus sat on him and rode him into Jerusalem. And this is such a beautiful image. You know, I I have taken it for granted many times when I have uh, rode horses, things like that. You know, Riding horses is something that uh, scares me a little bit. I don't know if anybody else in here is that way. I know Sister Hannah is not, um, but it scares me, okay? For one, w- when, you, when you get up on top of the horse, it feels like you're 20 feet up in there. You know, they're, they're only, you know, yay high, but it feels like you're, you know, on a ladder. And then when they move, they have power and they have their own mind, and, and, and they, they can kill you. They can hurt you, you know. So, I mean, you ought to give them a little respect. But we take for granted sometime that somebody had to be the first person to get on that horse's back at some point, right? Some brave soul had to say, I'll, I'll take one for the team and I'll get on this beast and, and I'll ride it for the first time. Well, Jesus takes this donkey that had not been through training that was a young donkey and he says I am going to set you apart for the purpose of fulfilling this prophecy of showing forth who God really is and coming into Jerusalem not on a stallion uh, not in uh, you know some type of carriage he is going to ride in lowly and meek on a donkey and so he just does it (laughs) he just does it And the same thing he did with my wild, stubborn heart. He didn't come in and train my heart through the use of a a preacher or through the use of the gospel. He came to my stubborn and wild heart and he just tamed it right there. We don't see a training montage right here where Jesus spends the next few hours, next few days training this donkey into how to do this correctly, right? You know, we, we like those scenes in Rocky and other things like that. I, I mentioned that at Five Mile. We like to see that that part. That's always my favorite part of the movies when you've got this contest, you've got this challenge, and you've got to get better. And then you put on some inspirational music, and then, you know, you have cut scenes of, of all this working out that you're doing to get better and stronger. That's not happening here. That's not happening with Jesus and this donkey. He just... Tames this donkey right there. And that's what happened with my heart, right? He didn't have to coax me into it, he didn't have to train me into it, and he did that for you too. Let's go to John 19. I initially said that it was the phrase, whereon never a man had sat. That was what caught my attention. And then as I uh, meditated on that, I remembered another place where that same sort of phrasing had occurred. And so I looked at it, and here's where we are in John 19 and verse 41. It says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. So on the one hand, we have a donkey, (laughs) whereon never a man yet was uh, sat, where he sat. And then we've got this tomb wherein never a man had been laid. Okay? Now this was Joseph of Arimathea's uh, tomb. Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate, craving the body of Jesus after Jesus' crucifixion, after the victory that he wrought, um, securing our salvation. And then he takes him and he buries him in his own tomb. And we've mentioned that before. What an image that is of Jesus going into your grave for you, being buried in Joseph's tomb. You know, it's amazing that they had to take uh, Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus, uh, his secret disciple. They come in and they help and they bear the body of Jesus into the tomb. Well, they didn't have to help him out, did they? <laughs> they? They carted him in there and Jesus walked out on his own two feet. So we get this image of this donkey where a never man had sat, just like my wicked, uh, sinful, stubborn heart that Jesus comes in and conquers. And then we've got this other thing, this other stubborn thing called the grave. It's stubborn. You know, that is, that is one thing that, that we have in common with every single person that's ever lived except for a, a tiny handful of people that never died, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the president. It doesn't matter if you're a marathon runner or if you're like me, okay? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Every single one of us If the Lord doesn't come back before that, every single one of us will die. It is a certainty because of sin. It is a stubborn thing. Yet Jesus comes to this grave and He conquers the stubbornness of the grave just like He conquered the stubbornness of this donkey, right? Praise God that we have a God who didn't... Uh, come down here to make us savable. Because I'm stubborn (laughs) and the grave's stubborn. But yet Jesus knows that. He knows who you are. He knows that you are a stubborn donkey. And He knows (laughs) that because of our sin, we have a stubborn adversary of death waiting for every one of us. And so what did He do? (laughs) He came in and He conquered it. He broke it. He tamed it for us. He came in and He tamed your wicked, broken, sinful heart. He didn't ask you about it. He didn't plead with you. He came in and He just did it. And then He goes to the grave. And what does He do? Does He beg death? To let go? Does he beg death? Does he beg Satan? Does he do any of these things? No, God comes in and he takes care of business. He breaks death. He defeats it. Even the stubbornness of the grave cannot hold your Savior. That's such an encouragement to me when I realize what a failure that I am and how broken that I am and I feel I feel the deadness in my flesh that Jesus did not leave me (laughs) to try to make the right decisions or to save myself out of this situation, that he would even love me enough, that he would love me enough to conquer me (laughs) and to conquer our enemy death. I pray that we might think about that. That when we read that passage and we see that donkey that never man had sat on, we might think about us in our natural state, untamed. And we might think about Jesus going to the grave for us. Uh, that he might save us from our sins, period. That's what we believe here, isn't it not? What does a primitive Baptist believe? That Jesus saved his people from their sins, period. hope that's an encouragement to you tonight.